starting a brand new series today. And I'm telling you, you cannot afford to miss this entire series. Let me tell you why. We're, we're starting a new series titled Upside Down. And it's a series about the kingdom of God. And the truth is that many people become excited about the kingdom of God. They, come, they become excited about Jesus in their life. And we should, right? But we must understand that Jesus did not come to give us a religion. Jesus did not come to just give us some principles that are suggestions for life. Jesus came to establish a kingdom. I'm not going to look at it, but if you go to Acts chapter 1, what you will find is that the Bible says that after Jesus was raised from the dead, that he spent 40 days with his disciples. And it explicitly says this, he, he taught them about the kingdom of God. In other words, there is an emphasis, there is an importance that we must place on understanding the kingdom of God. And too many people get excited about God's kingdom without understanding it. And therefore, they become discouraged. And so in the days of Jesus, look, it wasn't uncommon for people to follow after certain teachers, to get excited about certain messages about God. They even became disciples. Uh, now, a disciple is simply a student, a devoted learner. And we have examples of that where people got excited about uh, the word of God. Uh, they had, John had disciples. The scripture tells us that there was a, a great uh, man of God named Apollos, another one named Paul. And there were many people that followed after them that even claimed allegiance to them. But the thing is this. They were missing the kingdom. And so when Jesus hit the scene, it was no surprise that many people began to follow him. They were excited about this message of the kingdom of God that he was sharing. Jesus was declaring the kingdom of God is now here. It is among you. It is in you. God, and he began to introduce teaching that they had never heard of. The scripture tells us that they marveled at the power with, with which he taught. And so it was no surprise that many began to follow him. But eventually, if you follow the biblical record, those many became few. Because they realized that Jesus wasn't simply teaching them about God's kingdom. He was calling them to a complete change because of the kingdom of God. Today, I want to talk to you from the heart of God. I want to invite you to lean into the truth from God's word. Not my opinion, not my word. I'm not here to render an opinion. I bring you no opinion here. I want us to simply conceive, consider the word of God as we dig into the topic, what's this all about? What's this all about? What is, what is it about this kingdom of God that we hear about? What is it really about? How is it supposed to impact our lives? How is it supposed to change our lives? Why is it supposed to turn our lives upside down? You know, when my mother and I uh, first were introduced to Jesus in our home, we were full of hope. We were excited at the prospect of radical change. We welcomed the promise of joy and peace. Let me tell you why. Because the conditions in our home were completely dysfunctional. Domestic violence was a routine thing in my home. Routine. At the age of eight years old, I was getting into a fist fight with my mother's husband regularly. Getting beat down. It was, I'm being honest with you. It was normal in our home. Anger was normal in our home. Division was normal in our home. Uh, 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 you know, it, all this was going on in our home. And so when we got introduced to Jesus and we started going to church, everyone appeared happy. 
Everyone appeared transformed. Everyone appeared full of joy. Everyone gave the appearance that their life was total bliss. And meanwhile, to us it appeared like nothing had changed. To me as a young man, it was a great source of frustration to hear about this loving Jesus and hear about this kingdom of God that had changed our lives, but everything was the same at home. And so it, it, drew, it, it grew to such a great lengths, this frustration, that at the age of 15, I said, I really do love Jesus, but I hate the church. I hate everything the church represents. I felt like it was fake. I felt like it was just, you know, pie in the sky. And I struggled. And it wasn't until years later that I came to understand what the missing ingredient was. I came to understand that Jesus did not come to add to my life. He came to completely give me a new one. He came to change our lives completely. He came to turn our, world, our, our worlds upside down. See, I thought following Jesus meant conjuring up feelings of love for him. I thought following Jesus meant publicly declaring myself as one of his followers, telling people, yeah, I'm a Christian. I thought that following Jesus meant trying really hard to do what was right. You know what I came to realize years later? All those things, that's what's called religion. It's behavior modification. There's no internal change. And what I didn't know then that I know now is that God has established a kingdom and I am a part of that kingdom and therefore we are to live according to that kingdom. Not according to our ways. Not according to our experiences. See, the kingdom of God isn't a matter of religion. It isn't a matter of ritual. It isn't a matter of external appearances. The kingdom of God is something so much more. It's something that truly impacts our lives and transforms how we experience life in every area. I want to point you to the scriptures because I don't want to give you an opinion here. Look at Romans 14, verses 17 through 18. It says this. It says, for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, is not a matter of eating and drinking. Let's pause right there for a moment. Paul was addressing, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, an issue that was developing in the early church. These people were putting emphasis on rituals. They were putting emphasis on the observance of communion as a means to have relationship with Jesus. They were focusing on external things. So Paul says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not a matter of what you do externally. He says the kingdom of God is one of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say because anyone who serves Christ, watch this, in this way according to this understanding, according to this manner of life, according to this kingdom is what he's saying. In this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Watch this. It affects your relationship with God personally and it extends itself horizontally in every area of your life. This kingdom of God transforms our walk with God and our walk amongst people. It's supposed to impact us in every single way. And so what is righteousness? Many people think that righteousness is acting right. 
That is not righteousness. I'll prove it to you. The scripture says that Jesus became sin for us, that we would become the righteousness of God. That's talking about his very nature. That's talking about his identity. So I propose to you that when we talk about the kingdom of God being a matter of righteousness, it's not talking about simply right actions. Right actions are a result of a right identity. So when it talks about we are the right, we are righteousness, when it talks about the kingdom of God is of righteousness, it's talking about I've given you a new identity. You have a new standing with God and in this world. You are right with God and therefore you are an extension of my righteousness wherever you go. It says that the kingdom of God is a matter of peace. And this peace is a manner of life. The Bible says that we walk in steps of peace. That our feet are shod with the gospel of peace. Wherever we go, we bring peace. Wherever we go, we have peace. Now, here's the reality. Whether we choose to operate in it or not is a different story. Excuse me. And so it's a matter of peace. And then we see that it's a matter of joy in the Holy Spirit. And what that tells us of, it's an experience that we can have day to day with God. Joy. It's a natural byproduct. It is a fruit of a relationship with God. Right? And so what we see is that the kingdom of God is more than pie in the sky. The kingdom of God is not a matter of religion. The kingdom of God is not a matter of external factors. The kingdom of God is an entirely new life. An entirely new life. Which leads me to this point. Jesus did not come to improve our old life. He came to give us a new one. Let me say that again. Jesus did not come to improve our old life. He came to give us an entirely new one. Listen, he did not come to give you Jose 2.0. He did not come to bless your mess and incorporate it with righteousness. He did not come to drag your past into your future so that you can mix them both up and somehow be right and experience all the goodness of God. It does not work. See, one of the reasons why things get so complicated in following Jesus is because like me, at one time, we think the kingdom of God is about helping us win. We think it's about helping us improve our old life. We think it's about blessing the things that are ungodly. We think it's about uh, changing people and not changing us, which leads us to lose out entirely on this new life. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, if that's where you've found yourself, please don't feel bad. Don't feel bad that that's where you've been in your relationship with Jesus and how it's been affecting your life. You see, this isn't exclusive to just you and I. This was happening from the very beginning when Jesus came and introduced this kingdom, which tells us something. Your change has now come. It's time to step into it. But we have to understand this kingdom. What's this all about? Now, many have heard of the radical way in which the disciples began their journey with Jesus, right, as followers. 
We hear about how they left their families. We hear about how they, they left their businesses. We hear about they went wherever he went. I mean, it's like when you hear that, you think to yourself, man, these guys were super Jesus, uh, little, little Jesuses. Man, they were amazing. These were devoted guys. They were really humble. They were full of devotion. They were spiritually mature in every way. I mean, my God, to do that, you would have to be mature. But I propose to you that careful review of the scriptures tells us that they followed Jesus for the wrong reasons. Let me show you that from scripture. I'm just going to quickly go through this. There was a time where Jesus had performed great miracles impressive healings, things that they had never seen. And the disciples saw this. And watch what the conversation was that the scripture records what's happening among them as this happened. Luke 9, 46 says, An argument started among them as to which of them might be the greatest, surpassing others in esteem and authority. These guys started to argue, Hey, I bet you I'm better than you in the kingdom of God. I bet you that I, I, I'm, I have more authority than you. No, no, it's me. No, it's you. No, no, it's me. It's me. No, it's me. You're all wrong. It's me. In Mark chapter 10, we see that Jesus had prophesied about his death and his resurrection. He's telling them the plan. He's telling them what's to come. And watch in Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 35, what some of the disciples says. It says, James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for who? Come on, say that with me. For who? For us. For us. Whatever we ask of you. Now watch Jesus. He replied to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant that we may sit with you, one on your right and one on your left, in your glory, your majesty and splendor in your kingdom. Listen to what they're saying. We want to be head honchos. We want to be top dogs. We want to be at the side of the king and recognize that way. Another time, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, and he was about to pass through Samaria. Now, he, previously, the scripture records he had been there. He had an encounter with a woman that was from Samaria, and then they, they begged him to stay, and he taught them about the kingdom of God, and it radically changed these people who were, who were really not Jewish. They were Gentiles. They, they weren't even qualified, according to the, the, their understanding, uh, to be a part of this kingdom. And yet Jesus went there, and great things happened. And so now Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he's about to pass through Samaria. And he sends someone to Samaria to tell them, hey, I'm coming through Samaria, but I'm on my way to Jerusalem. The scripture records that they sent word back to Jesus and said, don't come. They became offended because Jesus wasn't going to stop. He wasn't going to stay there with them. And so watch what the disciples responded. It says in Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 35, James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, I'm sorry, I, I, wrong one, Luke 9, verse 54 through 56, it says, When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and to destroy them? But he turned and he rebuked them and he said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they journeyed on to another village. Why would they say that? You see, 
they had already been authorized and they had experienced the power that Jesus had anointed them with which to work and reach people. They had already gone and seen uh, the sick healed. They had seen the demon possessed uh, delivered. And so they're saying, oh, we can call fire down and destroy these people. How dare they talk to Jesus like that? And Jesus rebukes them, the scripture tells us. There was something wrong there in their response. And then after Jesus was raised from the dead, Acts chapter 1 records that they came, that Jesus returned to the people, and as I mentioned earlier, he began to teach them about the kingdom. But watch what, the, what was on the minds of all the disciples who had seen him raised. Acts chapter 1, 6 says, So when they had come together, they asked him repeatedly, Lord, are you at this time reestablishing the kingdom? Watch this. And restoring it to Israel. Are you putting us back on top of all the nations in the world? Are you restoring to us the lands that have been taken from us? Are you taking us back to our former glory? See, the disciples had an erroneous understanding of what the kingdom of God was about. The Israelites in those days had been under Roman captivity for hundreds of years. And so when Jesus was born, he was born into a system that where Israel wasn't on top. And this, the history records that the Romans uh, charged the Israelites with hefty taxes. They, were, they disrespected them. They were harsh towards them. And so at the point where Jesus enters in, to the world. He's born an Israelite, and when he started his ministry, he did great miracles like bringing the physically dead back to life, healing the sick, so on and so forth. And on seeing these miracles, the people of Israel began to rise up in an uproar because they said, this must be the Messiah. He's come to reestablish us. He's come to set us back on top. And what they did not understand was that the Messiah did not come to set things right politically or to free Israel from Roman captivity. No, instead, this Messiah came as a sacrifice for the sins of all humanity, which included the Romans. Get this, the fact that they questioned, the fact that they questioned if the time had come for the kingdom of God to be restored to Israel, indicates that they were thinking of God's kingdom as a national entity, as an international power, with its center located in Jerusalem where they were, and its domain encompassing the land of their forefathers. Why do I share all this with you? Because we see that the, the disciples had been following Jesus for something more. They were following Jesus for position. They were following Jesus for recognition. They were following Jesus for authority over others. They were following Jesus for the benefits that it could afford them personally. They were seeking a gimme God. And essentially, what we see is that in the disciples, among the disciples, everyone was in it to win it. For themselves, because they thought Jesus came to put them on top of the food chain. They were full of themselves. I want to propose a question to you. Why are you seeking after the kingdom of God? It's an important question to consider. 
is this about me? Is this about me winning? Is this about me being blessed? Is this about me, 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 me? Because as long as it's about me, it's not about the king of the kingdom. See, it is absolutely possible to be a disciple of Jesus and do it for all the wrong reasons. We got to think about that. It's absolutely possible to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, one learning about Jesus and do it for all the wrong reasons. See, one can be committed to wholeheartedly learning about Jesus. We can be committed to even feeling some love for Jesus. And still do it for the wrong reasons. So what's the solution? My friend, we must begin living upside down. We must allow the kingdom of God to turn our world around. Listen, to supplant what we call our life so that his life can take root. It's an entirely new life. And so I want to give you just three things to consider for reflection and application. And I believe with all my heart, I believe with all my heart, and I know this to be true by experience, and I know that many of you know this too, that the word of God is useless if we do not apply it. If we don't apply it, then it's powerless. It has power. But it's powerless because we turn the notch down. We limit the flow of what God wants to do in our lives. So I want to encourage you to not just simply hear what we're looking at from the word of God. I want to encourage you to leave here challenged. I want to encourage you to leave here open. I want to encourage you to leave here with a determination and a decision made that I will apply the truth in God's word and I will allow God's kingdom to turn my life upside down. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Come on now, some of you look at me a little weird. The first point I want to give you for reflection and application is this, is that Jesus came to turn our lives upside down so we can be on the right side of up. That's a tongue twister. We're going to leave that up for a moment. Let me read that again. Jesus came to turn our lives upside down so that we can be on the right side of up. Listen, you know what up is in the kingdom? His kingdom, his ways, his purposes, his agenda, his calling, his priorities. You know what down is in the kingdom of God? My ways, my thoughts, my priorities, my agenda, my desires, my way. I made this statement a couple of weeks ago and it ruffled some feathers and praise God because I had nothing to do with it. It's all about God. It's what God's speaking into some lives. See, we can choose to follow Jesus, but we can't choose how to follow Jesus. Can't choose how to. It's his kingdom way, right? Now, let me give you some scriptural reference for this so that we can get on the right side of what up actually is. Matthew 6, starting at verse 9, says, Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Say this with me. Your what? Your kingdom come. And what else? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Listen to this. Our lives are supposed to reflect the kingdom of God. Reflect. When you look at the kingdom of God, if we were to put a mirror to the kingdom of God, what would it show us? What would you see? What, what, what would it reveal? Listen, our lives are supposed to reflect the kingdom of God, not the kingdoms of this earth. Oh, man, I'm going to dig in there. You know I love you, right? What you call your politics, does it reflect the kingdom of God? What you call right, does it reflect the kingdom of God? Come on now. Come on now. How you make decisions, do they reflect the kingdom of God? How you operate in a marriage, does it reflect the kingdom of God? How you're raising your children, does it reflect the kingdom of God? How you treat those who hurt you and despise you and persecute you, does it reflect the kingdom of God? How you respond to the Bible, does it reflect the kingdom of God? What you do at work, does it reflect the kingdom of God? How you conduct business, business owner, does it reflect the kingdom of God? Does it give people a mirror of what this kingdom of God looks like? We got to take a look, right? See... In this world, you're up as long as your desires, your ways, your thoughts, your agenda, your schedule remains at the top of your priorities. But in heaven, in God's kingdom, up is God's ways, God's plan, God's agenda, and his schedule and his timing. They remain on top. Why? Because he alone is God, and he alone is king. He alone is king. The right side of up requires us humbling ourselves down to the point that we aren't in it to win it for ourselves. We're in it for God to be winner over our lives, over our hearts, over our plans, over our purposes, over everything that we consider life. So let me, let, let, let's put a mirror up to the kingdom of God for a second. We're going to look to the scripture, and I'm going to go through these quickly. I'm not really going to expound much on it, but I want to encourage you, listen, take notes. You got a phone? Take notes. Snapshot it. Do whatever you got to do. Go back to the message. Study this. Because, you know, what we hear comes in here and then it goes out there. I guarantee you, you'll leave here and you will forget some of the things you heard here. Why? Because you're hungry. <laughs> right? So Ephesians chapter 5, quickly, starting at verse 1, says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What do we see here? That we love sacrificially wherever we go. In the kingdom of God, it operates according to love. And it's sacrificial love. You know, it's been said, love hurts. The only time that love should hurt is not because somebody hurts you. The only time that love should hurt is because you sacrifice. We love sacrificially. We, we don't compromise that. In the kingdom of God, Revelation 7, 9, we see after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude, a, a great multitude that no one could number 
from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their, in their hands. I want you to see that in the kingdom of God, there's room for all people. They are from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. And let me tell you why I share that. Because we are in a day and age where everyone is being canceled for something. Everyone's being canceled for something. Now that doesn't mean that we side on the choice of everyone. But in the kingdom of God, even when we disagree, even if you might be making choices that are incongruent with the truth of God's word, we do not judge, we do not condemn. What we do is we embrace and we teach. We embrace and we love. The Bible says that we speak the truth in love. We're going to talk about that a little bit in a little bit further. And so there's room for everyone in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, Luke chapter 9, verses 23, starting at verse 23, it says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and do what? Follow me. Right? And it says, For whoever would save his life will lose it will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake because I say this is what you should do he says we'll save it we choose to live for Christ first before we live for ourselves in the kingdom of God it reflects to us it's not about my choice for me it's about his choice for me about his choice for me what else do we see in the kingdom of God Matthew 5, 16 says in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What do we see about the kingdom of God? We do not shine for recognition. We shine so that Christ can be recognized. We shine for, so that people can see Christ. If you're busy trying to shine for you, you're, you are living a dim life. You are in a darkened state because it's about you. What else do we see about the kingdom? John 4, starting at verse 23, it says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in what? In spirit and what? And truth. Watch this. We don't settle for the superficial in the kingdom of God. No. We worship God with our entire being and operate according to God's truth. We do not bend the Bible. We do not bend the truth. And what we do, we don't do it superficially. Just because you go to a building that people might refer to as church, just because we read the Bible, just because we sing songs, just because we serve, doesn't mean that we are Christians. It's an internal process. It's a transformation from the inside. Thus, we worship God in spirit with the whole man and in truth because of the truth. What else do we see about the kingdom of God? Matthew 7, 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does uh, the will of my Father who is in heaven. Why am I pointing your attention to that? Because we don't do religious things. We do the will of God. We don't do religious things. We do the will of God. We do the will of God. I'm going to say that again. We do the will of God. 
let me, let me tell you why that's encouraging. Watch this one. 2 Second Second Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Come on and give God a hand clap. I know you're going, I don't want to clap for that one. Let me say this to you, my friend. We live in, we expect opposition to our love for Christ. Expect it. Expect it. And we boldly stand in the face of it. In the kingdom of God, you will be persecuted for standing for what's true, for what's right, for what's good, for what's godly. Parents, why would you even consider bending to a school system that is trying to infuse true what they call truth in place of the word of God that you have Come on, man. oh man I just went there I just went there listen it is not the responsibility of a school to raise your child and teach them it is your responsibility to teach them the word of God you cannot compromise it you cannot allow it listen we're in a day and age where what this world calls good and what this world calls right and what this world calls truth just in this nation alone is destroying the very fabric of family, of marriage, of church, of, of community. We are forsaking the godly principles that God has given us. And let me tell you why that's happening. Because the church refuses to stand up. Let me, let me pose a question to you. What will you do in the face of persecution? What will you do? Like seriously, what will you do? What are you doing? Because what you do either reflects the kingdom of God or deflects it. It bends it. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In this kingdom we live in this world, but as citizens of God's kingdom we submit first to the laws of God. There is no compromise. No compromise. Listen, our citizenship calls for allegiance to what the scriptures tell us. We can't bend that. We cannot. Let me just give this as a clause. Please be advised that this is not the opinion of Pastor Jose or Church at the Bridge. This is the word of God. Now come on and give God some praise. Not my opinion. Just being very clear. What's the second point that I want to leave you with for reflection and application? To enjoy the life of Christ, someone has to die. Someone has to die. In kingdom culture, in kingdom culture, back in those days, here's one thing that's true. There can't be two kings and two kingdoms. There can't be. So when a new king came in, one of two things happened. Number one, either the king, the, prece the, 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 the predecessor was dead, right? Or he was alive and he was killed so that he posed no threat to the kingdom that was coming in. 
And I want you to consider this from Scripture. I want you to consider this from Scripture. The reason why they did that in those days in kingdom culture is because uh, the reason why the, pre the, the predecessor had to die was so that there was no challenge to the incoming king's reign and his laws. Now watch this from Scripture, Galatians 2, starting at verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, watch this, and I no longer live. I no longer live. He says, but Christ lives in me. Listen to what the Apostle Paul is saying to us that God purposed to put in his heart to teach us. He's saying, it's no longer my life at all. It's his life. It's his life. His life has been entrusted to me. It has been given to me a brand new life. He goes on to say, the life I now live in the body, he says, I live by faith in the Son of God. You know what he's saying there? I live it in response to him because I believe in him. So it's not about me anymore. It's about him who loved me and gave himself for me. Watch this. I do not set aside the grace of God. In other words, I'm not setting aside this revelation. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Let me ask you a question. Did Christ die for your life or to give you his life? Listen, what makes us think that clinging to our old lives and holding on to the hope in Jesus that we can have a new life, what makes us think that that's going to work? What is it that makes us think that I can still be that person? I can still believe incongruent to the scriptures. I can still do what I want, when I want, how I want, if I want. No matter if it completely contradicts the word of God. What makes us think that we can do that and expect change? Expect the blessing of God. Expect his transforming power in our homes. What makes us think that we can have solid marriages when we're trying to live according to a false understanding? It does not work, my friend. See, as long as we hold on to our old life, Christ can't live in you. Why? Because you're not letting him. Yes, sir. The moment we begin to put those things to death, and I would challenge you to consider this, what needs to die? Who needs to die? Who needs to die? What has to be let go of? It's a powerful and challenging question, one and the same. But you've got to understand something. It's necessary to be this real with God. It's necessary to consider what it means to be in this kingdom. How many of you celebrate that the scripture says, come on, if, if you celebrate that, then go ahead and give a clap. Don't clap yet because you don't even know what I'm going to talk about. How many of you celebrate the fact that you have been made the righteousness of God? 
Come on now, you can celebrate that. How many of you celebrate the fact that you have peace with God and for life? Come on, give, give, celebrate that. Right, celebrate that. Come on, like really, come on, that was cheap. Come on, we celebrate that, right? How many of you celebrate the fact that you have joy in the Holy Spirit? Come on, we have a thriving relationship with God. Now if you celebrate that, then guess what? To get to that point, something has to die. You can't have a new identity in Christ while holding on to your old one. Doesn't work. The last point that I want to, that I want to leave you for reflection and application is that there can be no kingdom of God in the world without the kingdom of God in our hearts. There can be no kingdom of God in the world without the kingdom of God in our hearts. Here where I'm coming from with this. The Bible tells us that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And it gives us much evidence that we have been empowered to be agents of change in this world. It says you're the light of the world. It tells us that we are the salt of this earth. It tells us that we are to go into all the world. Make disciples. To truly raise up followers of Jesus citizens of the kingdom of God see we're anointed to infiltrate and spread the truth the reality of Christ into this world into the lives of others maybe even into your own home but I want you to see something that can't happen if we have not accepted this as truth that we serve a king and we live for his kingdom wife when your husband is on your last nerve listen closely how you treat him does it reflect the kingdom when things seem to be going sideways and everything seems to be crumbling and you go into survival mode and you begin to compromise, let me ask you a question. Does it reflect the kingdom? When the unexpected happens, can God expect you to respond according to his kingdom? You know, in Acts chapter 11, it, it gives us evidence that it was then that the early church began to be called Christians. You know what's interesting? There's a reason why they began to call them Christians. It wasn't because they got together and sang some little cute songs. It wasn't because they read the scriptures and prayed. There was an evidence of power. But that evidence of power came because they recognized that these people claimed allegiance to a new king. If you study history, what you'll find is between AD 30 and AD 40, it became a crime in Rome to be a Christian. Christians were persecuted, executed for claiming allegiance to this King Jesus. Why? Because you can't have allegiance to another king when there's a king standing already in place. 
So they persecuted them. What I find interesting is this. That their love for Jesus as king and their faith in his commands was so powerfully embedded in their hearts that between A.D. 30 and A.D. 40, they went through some persecution, but then it toppled Rome. Let me tell you what I mean. Rome became a Christian nation. It became a Christian empire. The emperor himself said, we follow Christ. Why? Because somebody dared to claim allegiance to a king and not compromise the ways of his kingdom. And my friend, I am telling you today, because we are part of God's kingdom and we swear our allegiance to Christ, we must do what's just, not justifiable. We must do what's moral, not what's modeled in society today. We must do what's true, not what's convenient. Let's stand here today. Let me tell you why we must. Let's stand. Let me tell you why we must. We serve a king. Because we belong to a king. And he is the king of kings. He's over every nation. He stands above every president. His agenda exceeds any agenda, political or otherwise. His way is the only way. It is the truth. It is the life. It is what we follow. It is what we swear allegiance to. And so we cannot compromise this kingdom. What's this all about? It's about a new life. And we are responsible before God to do what is right with it to do what is honorable unto God, to do what reflects His kingdom. Amen. Amen. Father, today we come to you in the hearing of your word. We know this to be true, Lord. Your word is the truth. It is the truth. Therefore, Lord, we accept the truth in our lives today. If you're feeling challenged by the word of God, let me tell you, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. You know what it indicates? You are still teachable. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You still have the ability to recognize the voice of God and respond to it. Yes, and today is a matter of choice. Choice to choose allegiance to Christ. To set a dividing line that doesn't stop here, that it goes with us wherever we go, and it boldly declares and takes a stand for his kingdom. Today, Lord, we acknowledge you as Lord. Come on, take your time right now to give all honor and all glory to God, to declare your allegiance to him,
to make the decision that says it's about you, Lord King. Your ways, your thoughts, your priorities, your truth. It's very possible there's someone here today, maybe you're joining us online, and today what you're realizing is that there's a whole lot more to life than what you think, than what you thought. You thought it was your way. And what you realize is that the reason why your way hasn't been working is because it's not God's way. My friend, God wants to lead you into a life, a new life. One where you are identified as righteousness. Not just right, but you take on an entirely new identity. You see yourself for what God sees you. Righteous, holy, acceptable, blessed, anointed, called, chosen. That's what God declares about you. You're realizing that God wants to give you a life of peace. A new path for life that you don't have to live with drama anymore. You can walk in peace with God and walk in peace with others and be at rest no matter the circumstances. Doesn't mean that challenges won't come, but you can navigate through them now. What you're realizing is that God wants to show you what true joy is beyond temporal things. It's joy found in personal relationship with Him. And it's a joy that extends into every part of your life. If you believe that with us today, you must know this, my friend. God loved you so much that He gave His Son to die for your sin. Why would He do that? You see, sin required a payment. A debt was owed. Sin is more than our actions. Sin is who we were. It's who you've been without God. It's an identity. And you see, no man could fix that because we're the ones who messed it up. And so what did God do? He said, I'll come in the form of a man. I'll become just like them. And I'll pay the perfect price for their sin. But then I'm going to rise again from the dead. Not just to prove I'm God, but to show them that they can rise too. My friend, those dead places are no longer your dwelling place. God has called you into new life. If you believe that with us today, let's join together. Whether you're here or you're online, if you're in the house and making that decision, raise your hand. We want to acknowledge you. We want to walk with you on this journey. Let us know that. We want to connect with you. If you're online, let, send us a message, a private message, or however you want to do that. Give us an emoji, whatever you want to do. We want to walk alongside you. Let's pray this together. Raise your hands if you're accepting Jesus. They say, Jesus, I believe. You are the Lord of my life. I believe you love me so much that you died for my sin. And you rose again to give me a brand new life. Today I declare you are my king. You are my savior. You are my God. And I thank you that from this day forward, I have a brand new life. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.